Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. favorite section of the Genjo Koan. Um, we've been translating the Genjo Koan uh, as the koan of your whole life. Actualizing your life, actualizing your practice, finding out what is important. And um, We've also been discussing that for Dogen, uh, who lost both of his parents by the time he was eight years old, there was some urgency to this practice. And likewise for us, when we're in touch with our lives, we realize there's some urgency. At the end of our practice every day, we finish chanting, life and death are of supreme importance. Time passes swiftly. So because time is passing swiftly, life and death are of supreme importance. If you get that, you get the whole thing. Uh, but we don't. We forget and we get amnesia, and so we have to practice. And this is Dogen's main question. Uh, Dogen had sort of two main uh, motivations, aside from his own suffering in his life. One of them is... This question, if, if everybody is already inherently enlightened or has Buddha nature or whatever, you, you, whatever vocabulary you want to use, if that's inherently within us, then why practice? What is the purpose of practice? And the second theme that was motivating for Dogen was that practice is always so focused on one's realization. But for Dogen, it was equally important to take your realization and express it in your life, in your body, in speech, in mind. He did this in so many ways, through his generosity and his teaching, through his um, uh, focus on finding ways of using language that make language alive again. And some of you know he took this so far by taking images that, that have become cliché, like enlightenment as the moon, 
floating in the sky and reworks those cliches so that they become alive again. And um, this is what interests me about us practicing together over the long haul, is that it's not enough just to have your private individual realization. You can't just go on retreat and have experiences of oneness or interconnectedness and think that the practice ends there. We have to continually take our realization out into the world through our conduct, through how we walk, through how we bank, through how we consume, through how we grow our food, and on and on and on and on and on. And we can only do this through attentiveness, through paying attention to the way things really are. Because you don't know how you're going to have to serve in a year or in three years. Our lives change really fast. And you don't know what you're going to be asked to do in six years. You don't know what your life is going to look like. So how can you practice in a way now where there's something real going on? So that when you're asked to meet your life or the needs of others, you can really do it. So that practice is not just a kind of shell of form. But there's something real going on. And secondly, that the people around us who are also practicing, um, we start to learn about their practice so that we can see how their practice is being expressed in their work and in their world. And this is what Dogen is trying to hone in on here in the last section. He's like saying, okay, you're, you're practicing now. What are you going to do with it? Some of you who have been on retreat with me, you know that I, I do this a lot when people on retreat have um, special experiences. And they get really excited and they come in with their special experience. Uh, and my first question is always, uh, how are you going to let it go? <laughs> and what are you going to do with it? What, do, what does this mean? What does this mean? Dogen also points to two other themes. One is to recognize, to value, and to love our own uniqueness, our own idiosyncrasies, our own, the fact that we're an oddity. Have you seen Aaron's hair? Nobody has hair like this. It goes in every direction. She's an oddball. And so we can love her because we recognize her as this um, irregularity. I hope you take that with the best. Okay. And secondly, not only to love our own idiosyncrasies, but also to see them against a larger pattern of interconnectedness and contingency and impermanence. And out of that recognition, compassion arises. Compassion arises for ourself and all these strange habits that we've inherited and that sometimes we've invented from what we've inherited. 
And then also how to extend that compassion to ourselves, um, to others. Because you can't really care for other people when you're not taking care of yourself. And just when you think you're taking good care of someone else, you realize that if you took even better care of yourself, you could take even better care of them. Dogen writes, A fish swims in the ocean, and no matter how far it swims, there's no end to the water. Practice is like this, isn't it? No matter how far and deep we practice, there's no end to it. In another text, for those of you that that have studied other texts, Dogen also says, you, you don't practice to get enlightened. You, you practice because you are enlightened. Flips, flips it's on its head. No matter how deep you go in your practice, it's like a fish swimming in the ocean. The fish never finds the end of the ocean. Suzuki Roshi used to joke that um, if people uh, were told that if you just practice for two years, you'll wake up, there would be so many people filling the zendos. But what happens is they come and the teachers say, now you have to do this for the rest of your life. And you lose half your audience. (laughs) What nurtures you the way water nurtures a fish? What nurtures you the way the Wind nurtures a bird. This is what Dogen is saying. What is your field? For a fish, it's the sea. Or a river, it's water. And for a bird, it's air. And it's wind and currents. In the yoga postures and in the pranayama practices, we practice with the winds also. We practice with the pranic pattern of inhaling, the aponic pattern of exhaling, the is samonic a word? <laughs> the samonic pattern of spreading the kidneys as we inhale and feeling the navel draw back into the spine as we exhale, the udonic pattern of releasing the lower jaw on the exhale and feeling the roof of the mouth float up on the inhale, and the vionic pattern of letting the breath flow everywhere, everywhere, in and out. We also are nurtured by water, and so how we take care of water is how we take care of our body. And we need to take care of water like we take care of our body. So you can find all these elements in how we nurture ourselves, but don't think that nurturing yourself is nurturing just this skin bag. Nurturing yourself means taking care of everything that nurtures the skin bag (coughs) and everything that nurtures what nurtures you. And in taking care of everything that nurtures what nurtures you, you nurture yourself. Some people say, you know, I, I walk down University Avenue during the weekend of the G20 
And like, what does this really do? Does this really do anything? But actually, you watch people at the end of the day marching with other people for what they believe in, and they're invigorated. They're alive. And to be alive is um, uh, to feel how some of what we do makes no difference and how some of what we do really makes a difference. But how everything we do, everything we do, every action we take really matters. Everything matters. Maybe we don't see the difference right away. Maybe the Toronto Star doesn't report the day the way we saw it happen. But everything we do really matters. Especially when we do it together. And so consider how unrestrained the movement of a fish is. How unrestrained the movement of a finch is. Or a um, hummingbird. When those police helicopters fly overhead, if you blur your eyes, you can make them into hummingbirds. A bird flies in the sky, and no matter how far it flies, there's no end to the air. However, the fish and the bird have never left their elements. Have you? Do you ever leave your element? Do you know what nurtures you, which is your field? And then even though you know it, you leave it. Uh, it's also known as codependent relationships. Yeah. You know what you need. You know what nurtures you and you don't pay attention to it. And then as Carl Jung says, you know, everything that's repressed comes back into consciousness with the same amount of energy that it took to repress it. We, we leave things out of our, of our relationships, of our movement vocabulary, of our uh, mind. That we don't, we don't, we split off. And the energy it takes to keep things at bay, which is a lot, um, is the same energy that it will then use to force itself back into awareness. When their activity is large, their field is large. When their need or their activity is small, their field is small. I remember I spent six months living in a Volkswagen van in Algonquin Park. And I, uh, this tow truck driver that I met was really into the fact that I lived there. So he used to just bring me my groceries when he drove through Highway 60. And um, I never knew when he was going to come, but he came every couple of days and brought groceries. And I had a reverse schedule. It was springtime. And uh, I couldn't sleep at night because it was so cold. So I stayed up at night, and I slept during the day. And um, uh, I just listened all day. My main practice was just listening to the sound of the lakes fall. It sounds exactly like thunder. And for six months, my field was so small. I didn't go more than half a kilometer for six months away from my van. And I remember 
that might sound small, but I remember there's no landscape that I know better than that landscape. It opened up, and I saw, you know, two or three seasons of pine cones that I could distinguish from each other that I would never be able to do if I was just driving by and watching the landscape out the window. So when our field is small, the end of your exhale, there's a pause at the end of the exhale, and we can watch and feel the pelvic floor spread out, the center of the pelvic floor start to rise, and the inhale come out of nowhere and just sweep the end of the exhale up into an inhale. It's a whole universe there. You can watch this on National Geographic films. You look so closely, some of you did this last night, you look, you look so closely um, at any one thing and in it you find everything. When your field is large, that's what you work with. And when your field is really small, that's what you work with. When your need is large, that's what you work with. And vice versa. Thus, the bird and the fish totally covers their full range and totally experiences their life. No bird wants to be in a fish realm. And no fish that we know of wants to be in a bird realm. There are some birds that seem to want to become fish, but they're not. They're birds. And there are a few fish. Even I remember in Mexico, uh, living for a month on, uh, on, in this house, right on the water, watching the whales dive. And you get this feeling watching them. Do you know how much energy it takes for a whale to get enough thrust that it can dive? And I remember as it starts to turn and head back down, it almost looked like it was smiling. Can you imagine what it's like to be as heavy as a whale and be headed downward back towards the water? I mean, that's amazing. That, and I don't think the whale was saying, I want to be a, a bird. <laughs> it was just covering its field. Um, what is a fish? Swimming. What is a bird? Flying. What is a sentient being? What are you? What's rose? Rosing. What's ronit? Roniting. <laughs> Oh, this is fun. What's grant? <laughs> Granting. Did you catch that? Yeah. <laughs> is that a homophone or a homonym? Homophone. It's a homonym. But grant and grant is spelled the same way? Grant and... Yeah, so it's a homonym? Homonym is when it's oh, the same Right. Okay. Thank you. What is a sentient being? It's being in your life. And as we've talked about throughout this month, nothing obstructs our life more, or being fully in life, than imagining that realization is outside of you. There is nothing that stops us more than a paradigm of transcendence 
that places transcendence separate from your life. What a shame when we go through our practice and we can't see that realization is in the moon being nestled by even just the smallest dewdrop. And what is your life? You can only answer that question if you know what nourishes you. If you don't know what nourishes you, then you can't know what your life is. Because um, we're in someone else's life. Krishna says this to Arjuna. He says, you know, do your dharma. Don't do someone else's dharma. Do your, your dharma. What's your dharma? We should say this to half the people in medical school and law school. Do your dharma, not your parents' unlived life. There's this phenomena in the yoga community that I notice of people who start practicing and then they quit their job. Have you seen this? They, they start practicing and they start getting in touch with their life again. And then they quit their job. It's amazing phenomenon. I love to joke about it. John Cage says this. He says, wouldn't it be so amazing if unemployment rates rose so high that people would have to do what they're supposed to do? <laughs> so what is your practice? Your practice is learning how to nourish yourself. It is to be in touch with the senses to know how to nourish yourself. Practice and non-clinging. And that's why there's no end to practice. Water is life. Air is life. The bird is life. The fish is life. Life must be all these things. If a bird or a fish tries to reach the end of its element before really living it, this bird or fish will not find its way or its place. When you find, this is my favorite sentence. So this is, this is the answer. Dogen's been trying to answer this question. Um, why practice? And here's the answer. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the Genjo Koan. Do you see it hidden in a paragraph here? He answers the question. When you find your place right where you are, Atta, right now. When you find your place right where you are, practice occurs. A monk asks Basho, what is your practice? And he responds, whatever's needed. When you find your way at this moment, practice occurs actualizing the fundamental point. For the place, the way is neither large nor small, neither yours nor others. 
It's not carried over from the past. You're not going to find it in another country, in another era. It's right here. And we're missing it, and we're missing it, and we're missing it. so that everything becomes our practice. Everything is my life. Cancer is not my life. Anger is not my life. My temper is not, that's not my practice. I see this sometimes with people with their kids, with young kids. The kids are not my practice, and they have to get like nine babysitters so they can go do their practice. This pain in my back is not my practice. Sadness is not my practice. That's not my life. My life is when it's all good. This other stuff's not my practice. The years I lost in the hospital, the years I lost in the prison, the years I lost being unconscious, that's not my life. You hear this so much, you know, of people who had to spend, like I was talking about on the weekend, you know, three years in bed with back pain. And so angry about it. Why did I have to spend three years? And then a few years later saying, I wish I had a practice. Because I, I wouldn't have lost those three years in pain wanting to be somewhere else. I don't think a fish loses years being somewhere else. <laughs> to realize oneness with everything is to take a breath can you try this? Is anyone breathing? I don't know. I was thinking about the bird. Is <laughs> to take a breath right now and to know that that breath is in continuity with every sentient being right now taking a breath. The squirrel, the fish in the lake, the red ants on the island, they're all breathing with you right now. Is that amazing to consider? That these values that we've been exploring are happening in every sentient being. These winds of breathing. Through all the koshas, they have anatomy, they have physiology. All these koshas are spread through the whole natural world, and we're all breathing together. It's amazing. It's amazing to think about. No matter how far a fish swims, there's no end to the water. There's no end to the practice. And the practice, like water, is what sustains you. The practice, like air, is what sustains you 
so that you can turn around and express your practice and make art so that you can find compassion to serve others and passion to make art to make your life into a piece of art not a piece of art like that you hang or you perform but to perform yourself which is nothing but um, a plastic um, and elastic life form that we can manipulate and if you manipulate yourself rather than denying it Dogen's saying nothing about denying yourself you, you manipulate yourself like a piece of art and in doing so you see that there is nothing fixed there so that you don't deny it and you don't identify with it. And there's no end to it. Totally covering your full range means really knowing your realm. Philip Whalen, those of you uh, who come to Center of Gravity, we have our, on our altar a little photograph of Philip Whalen. Um, I, I can't go more than two days without reading his words. He has a, a little poem that he wrote right at the end of his life um, about covering one's uh, domain completely. Uh, here's one of the last poems he wrote. Cherry trees will blossom every year, but all disappear for good one of these days. Cherry trees will blossom every year, but I will disappear for good one of these days. Who knows when you're going to disappear? I don't want you to disappear. I just spent a month with you. I love you. I wanna, you know, you can disappear at the end of the at the end of the month, at the end of the week. All the way to Bangkok, New York, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, New York, then Hong Kong. All the way to Dubai. Kitchener? All the way to Kitchener? <laughs> Nancy, Montreal, or England? England? Stockholm? Copenhagen? Sometimes in this practice, I really want to push you. And I want you to really see interconnectedness with your whole body. And sometimes I just want to hug you and say, just relax and stop trying to find oneness with your whole body. <laughs> there is a wonderful Chinese capping phrase that I, I read on the New Year's retreat that uh, still makes me laugh. 
It goes like this. Ducks, ducks' legs are short. Crane's legs are long. <laughs> ducks' legs are short. Crane's legs are long. In the yoga tradition, there's a saying, your elbow can only bend one way. It's kind of like saying the same thing. It's karma. Duck's legs are short. Crane's legs are long. Your life is your life. You can't live someone else's life. Some of you have short, kind of stumpy legs. <laughs> and then there's Grant. <laughs> 60 degrees. There is someone who is a taxi driver and wakes up at 6 a.m. I see them every morning driving by at the same time down my street. And that is their pattern. And there is the woman at the beer store at 6.50 every morning with breadcrumbs feeding pigeons. This is her ocean. Cherry blossoms might fall, but they come back again. Your life sometimes falls apart and comes back again, but you just get to be here this time, in this way, this month, with these friends. We will not get to, get to do this intensive the same way again. And if you come to the intensive when we do it again in two years, you'll say, it was a golden era in 2010. <laughs> And some of you are here saying, do you remember when it was just a dozen of us in the alley? And when we were in the alley, do you remember when it was a half a dozen of us in the park? We don't want to uh, lose track of what nourishes us. And that's why we make these pilgrimages in our body and in our relationships and in community. In January, I made a pilgrimage. I, I have this affection for Philip Whalen, so I made a pilgrimage to where he lived. I got to go to his house, where he passed away many years ago. All his books are still there, handwritten letters from Gary Snyder tucked in his books. It's all just as he left it. They didn't even know they had an archive there. And I didn't know him. I never knew him when he was alive. But when I was there, it invigorated, it reminded me why we practice. Why it's so important to express ourselves. Why making art is the most important thing. The most important thing. This does not mean painting a painting. It also means that you don't get to do whatever you want. Fishes don't, they seem like maybe they get to do whatever they want, but they don't. Somebody has to cook, and there's a particular way you cook. Somebody has to ring the bell. Ronit learned this, and there's a particular way you ring the bell. The first day, it didn't work. The first day, she rang the bell, and it was like kind of startling. And now she, she can ring the bell. The first day Lori lit the incense, 
she blew on the incense and blew the altar apart. <laughs> and there's a particular way you, you take the flame off of the incense. Just because you're free doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. And I think being in community reminds us of this. You can't just do whatever you want. Robert Aitken writes, everything, just as it is, as it is, as is, flowers in bloom, nothing to add. Nothing to add. A bird is life, fish is life, Nothing to add. Hawkwin says in his commentary on the Heart Sutra, what a shame it is when you try drawing a snake and you add a leg. Have you ever done this with calligraphy? You, you draw a beautiful snake and then you're not attentive and suddenly you add a leg. What a shame to add the leg, to add something. So in Roshi writes, all beings are flowers blooming in a blooming universe. That's you. That's Lena is a flower blooming only the way Lena can bloom. You saw Aaron's hair. Did you see Lena's hair? It's almost like Aaron's hair, but it can't ever be Aaron's hair. And Aaron's hair doesn't want to be Lena's hair. She's blushing now. <laughs> and her hair is herring in a blooming universe. So now Basho is going to, I mean, Dogen is going to flip this whole thing. And he's going to give us a koan. There's no koans in the Genjo koan. The Genjo koan is the koan. But now he's going to add a koan. And some of you who know uh, Dogen's work, he doesn't like koans too much. Um, and now he's going to add a koan. But I want our attention to be really uh, sparkly. So I think what I'd like to do is take a, a five-minute break. And then we'll see what Dogen, and this is the end of the text. He, he gives you a koan to actualize his koan, like a flower blooming in a blooming universe. So let's take a five-minute break, and then we'll see what happens.